0: Hey, Christ City, just one thing before I jump into the message here today, uh, and that's just a quick word of friendly pastoral encouragement to the men of Christ City. Uh, The How to Read the Bible course starts this week, Tuesday evening, 7 p.m. It's a four-part course It's going to transform your own personal engagement with the Scripture. And gentlemen, I want you to hear this. Um, Thus far, 85% of the registrants for this course are the Christ City ladies. So ladies, well done. Uh, Now gentlemen, some of this might be due to the fact that you struggle to register for things before they come, uh, which is not helping our admin team, Uh, but we have designed this course, this four-week course, to equip every single one of you to engage the Bible in a new way. So head to the website or the Church Center app, and you can get registered for how to read the Bible. You can get registered for that course today. Okay, Uh, we're going to jump into the message. Last week, uh, Matt Crocker did a great job with the passage that comes immediately before what you've already heard read here. And to explain the fact that the text he was looking at and the text that we're looking at today, both of them say God is love. To explain that, he quoted a guy named James Denny he said for him to say god is love so for john writing this letter to say god is love is exactly the same as to say god in his son has made atonement for the sin of the world right so for john the beloved disciple who wrote this little letter that we call first john for him to say god is love was tied directly to the reality that God purposed that Jesus would be born into this world to save his people from their sin. So the Bible does not hide from what we call sin. The Bible doesn't hide from the reality of the ugliness and the brokenness of the world. The Bible defines it, it explains it, and shows us the source of evil and pain in the world. And then the Bible reveals the way that God is love, the message that God is love, how that overcomes the problem of sin and the effects of sin in the world. Okay? God is love. So Jesus Christ was born to save his people from their sins. God is love. So Jesus Christ was crucified for the salvation of his people. See, God is love. So Jesus Christ is raised from the dead as the resurrected first fruits of new creation. That's what God is love means. God is love are the first three words of our text again here today. And I just desperately want you to see that the message God is love is not supposed to be some kind of sentimental drivel that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy, but then doesn't require anything of you or change the way you live. See, if God is love, which which he is, And if God is love means exactly the same thing as God has made a way in Jesus for your sin to be forgiven and for the broken world to be made whole, which it does, it does mean that, then you've got to think on some level, the message God is love should practically and concretely change your life. And listen to me, it will, it will. Let me show you, I wanna show you three ways that the message, God is love, will shift your perspective on what is happening in your life. I wanna show you three movements or you could could say three changes to the way you see the world. I want to shift your perspective. I wanna shift your perspective. Three ways, from sinners to saints, from punishment to discipline, and from hate to love. From sinners to saints, from punishment to discipline, and from hate to love. Sinners to saints. Let's talk about this. Have a look at this image. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen this. Uh, From one perspective, this piece of art looks like a, a wire sculpture of an elephant, but when you move to the other side, when you shift your perspective and the angle you're looking at it from changes, you're going to see two giraffes. Okay. The point is, your perspective on something matters. Look at the text. The second half of verse 16 says, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. John is telling his friends in the church that he knows, he's saying God is love. And when this love is perfected or completed in you, you will have confidence for the day of judgment. Okay, He's teaching in line with Jesus and the rest of the scripture that one day every single human being is going to stand before God and be judged. And his point is, if you're a follower of Jesus, if the message God is love has taken root in your heart, not as some sort of permission-giving sentimentality that says that you can live as you want and it's all gonna be okay, but but actually, if God is love means to you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sin, that he was raised for your life, you shall be saved. And if that's what God is love means to you, you've got no need to fear that day of judgment and you should have confidence. How? How? Look at verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. If you've got your Bible open, like highlight that, underline that, mark that somehow. This is important for us to see. Now on the surface, it just seems like a bit of an obscure little sentence. It doesn't mean that much, but, but it truly does, as he is so also are we in this world. Just think about it like this. Jesus Christ was sinless. I am not. So in a moral way, I'm not really like him. Yeah, I already said this. Jesus Christ died and is risen as the first fruits of new creation. He has a resurrected, eternal body. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't yet. Right? This body is uh, it's not great. It's got some problems. I'm not yet like Jesus in his character, and I'm not yet like Jesus in his body, so what then is this talking about? Look at verse 17. As he is, so also are we in this world. Listen. In my standing before God, I am already like Jesus. As he is, standing before the Father, accepted and loved, so I am. In this world, this is talking about my new identity in Christ. As He is, so also are we in this world. That is actually a mind bending truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then as he is, so also are you in this world. That means you have received what Christ has accomplished and God the Father sees you as he sees Jesus. You're God's child. The late great Dr. J.I. Packer. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. This is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life. It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. You are in Christ. You are united with him and all he is. All he has is yours. In verse 17 of our text, it says, as he is, listen, so also are you in this world. See, in Christ, you are chosen from the foundations of the earth. You are redeemed from slavery to sin and you receive freedom in Christ. You are ransomed from the wages of sin and death and you were given new life in Christ. You once were dead in your sin and trespasses, but are now alive in Christ. See, in Christ, you are a new creation. You are the beloved of the Father. You are a child of God. You have been adopted as His own, and you are eternally secure because Jesus accepts and keeps all who come to Him. In Christ, you are justified. You are made clean and you are being made whole. In Christ, you can forgive others because in Christ, you yourself have been forgiven. In Christ, you're not alone, but you are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are now a member of a new family. You now look at others in the church and you see mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and you encourage them with the truth of who they are in Christ and they encourage you with the same in Christ. Listen to me, Christ City. In Christ. I want to shift your perspective. You're a saint, not a sinner. Your primary identity as a follower of Jesus is not sinner, it is saint. We're not sinners. We're saints who still have a proclivity towards sin. Just shift this perspective with me. Come around from one angle where it appears to be an elephant and pan around and see it as two giraffes. Yes, I know we were sinners, and I know we still sin. But that is no longer our primary identity. We are Christians, followers of Jesus. See, once we start to walk with the God who is love and once we receive what Christ has done for us and we receive the Holy Spirit and we live as new creations in Christ and we are born again to a living hope and we are adopted as his own and we know that as he is, so also are we in this world. Once we know all of that, then we see that our primary identity shifts from being sinners to understanding that we are saints who still sin. Charles Spurgeon said, In every believer there is darkness and light, and yet he is not to be named a sinner because there is sin in him, but he is to be named a saint because he possesses some degree of holiness. This will be a most comforting thought to those who are mourning their infirmities and who ask, can I be a child of God while there is so much darkness in me? Yes for you are spoken of in the word of God as if you were even now perfectly holy as you will be soon. And this perspective changes the source of what you live from and who you live for. As Christians, we are transformed by walking in relationship with the God who is love. And what happens is over time, we start to live out of who we already are in Christ. We are simply becoming who we already are. I just want to shift your perspective. Sinners to saints. I want to shift your perspective. and I I want to move us from fear of punishment to a vision of loving discipline. Look at this image. It's it's clearly an eye as we perceive it from the right perspective. But given another perspective, when we pan around, it's just a random assortment of painted wooden balls hanging on string. This shift of perspective is not from one image to another like the first one, but from one image that is crystal clear to one that does not make much sense. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So just let me pastor you for just a minute. One of the questions I get asked most often has to do with God's allowance of difficult circumstances in our lives. Uncomfortable things that happen, suboptimal things that are happening in our lives, right? You say, if I'm God's child, he has adopted me as his own. He has revealed his love and affection toward me in Christ. Why then is this so difficult? There are really two questions here. One's a present question and I think one is a future question. When things are difficult presently, we, we say, is God punishing me for my sin? And the future question is our concern. When we ask ourselves, and you ask me and other pastors on our team and people that are discipling you and walking with Jesus alongside you, you, you say, when I die and stand before God, will I be punished for my sin? Hey, there's two questions here. Again, a present issue and a future issue i have two answers to those two questions again one is present one is future the answer is no god is not presently punishing you for your sin and the other is no god will not punish you for your sin on the day of judgment And how do i know this well if you are in christ the day of judgment for your sin happened 2,000 years ago on the first Good Friday when Christ died for you. Jesus was punished for your sin, so you never will be. Earlier in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 9, it says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, this propitiation is a sacrifice that takes away wrath. Some translations will call it an atoning sacrifice. This means that on the cross, Jesus Christ stepped into our place and absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for us. This means that on the cross, Jesus Christ, who was innocent of all charges and sinless before God, took upon himself the judgment that we deserved. He bore the weight of the curse of our disobedience in life. So Christ said, Hear me. Fear not. Because Jesus Christ, the sinless, righteous one, was brought low and broken down. In judgment. See, God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word, which means he needed to judge our sin and disobedience. But if you are in Christ, let your heart be lifted and filled with hope at the depth of God's love to you in Christ, because your sin and disobedience was judged once and for all upon the cross of Calvary. The perfect love of God, the fullness of his love toward us, means our fear of judgment melts away in our midst as we behold the work of Christ crucified and risen. The good news of the gospel is that our love, the love of God in Christ, that displaces our fear. His perfect love casts out our fear of punishment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, Christ City, fear and love cannot coexist. Fear and love are mutually exclusive. They're like oil and water. They're magnets that cannot be put together but are opposing one another. They do not mix. There's no fear in love. God's perfect love displaces all fear of punishment. The fear is connected to punishment and God is not going to punish your sin twice. Jesus was punished for your sin so that you never will be. If you're a Christian, can, can I just say, God is not out to get you. He's not angry with you. He's not looking to punish you. That is not the look on his face, if I can say it like that. When you behold the face of your loving father, it is not one of scorn and anger. It is a disposition of love. It's deeper than we can ever comprehend. You don't need to live your life wondering if some sort of anvil is going to fall out of the sky like you live in some kind of Bugs Bunny cartoon world. As he is, as Jesus is, also are we in this world. You're not a doomed sinner when you're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you're a beloved saint and you're adopted as his very own. He's not punishing you. So so come around and see the right perspective with me. Shift this with me, right? Come from that one angle where everything is a mess to the one angle where everything is in perfect focus and you can tell what's going on. I have three daughters. I would do anything for them. And they know that. They know that there is nothing they could do that would make me love them more than I already do. And they know there is nothing they could do that would make me love them any less than I already do. I just love them. I love being a dad. And... I have loved my girls with an inexpressible level of love since the very first moment when I saw them, when they were born, when I held them. Listen, these little babies, are not little babies anymore. They did nothing to earn my love, but simply exist. They're my girls. I love them. I would never punish them that would be unloving but I do discipline them because I love them Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 says have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Now, just hang on here. Sons is a good thing here. This is the firstborn son, the one who has all the rights and all the inheritance in the world that this letter is being written to. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate. You are illegitimate children, and not sons. There's a pastor, preacher, theologian who was writing early in the 20th century, A.W. Pink. He said, it is of first importance that we learn to draw a sharp distinction between divine punishment and divine chastisement or discipline. Important for maintaining the honor and glory of God and for the peace of mind of the Christian. The distinction is very simple, yet it is often lost sight of, yet it is often lost sight of. God's people can never by any possibility be punished for their sins for God has already punished them at the cross. The Lord Jesus, our blessed substitute, suffered the full penalty of all our guilt. Hence it is written, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Neither the justice nor the love of God will permit him again exact payment of what Christ discharged to the full. So dear Christian brother and sister, God has judged your sin once and for all in Jesus. He disciplines us, yes, as a good and loving father, but he does not punish. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Like I said, I just want to shift your perspective. You're not sinners, you're saints. You're not sinners, you're saints who you sometimes still sin, yes. But you're saints. I want to shift us from a, a mentality of. Punishment to the recognition of God's discipline in our lives. See, love and fear do not mix. I'm not afraid of punishment, but I want to embrace God's loving discipline in my life because he's a good father and he wants the best for me. And I want to shift your perspective third from hate to love. From hate to love. Look at verse 19. Oh, man. We love because he first loved us. I could sit in that all day. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And we love God because he first loved us. And we love one another because he first loved us. Both are true and both are spoken of in this manner. We know what love looks like by being first loved. Perfect love drives out fear of judgment, yes, but perfect love also drives out hate. And this is saying that if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you've never encountered the love of God. See, biblical love is like a triangle. At the top, you have God. Down one side of the triangle to the other corner, you have God's love toward you. So you are one of the bottom points on the triangle. But at the very same time, God, who is love, is loving others. And so the other side of the triangle is God's love toward other people. And see, what happens is when God loves us and then we reciprocate love back to God and God loves others and because he first loved them, they reciprocate love back to them. That, that's, that's good, but it's not a complete love. It's not a perfected love. And what John is saying in this passage is that God's love, he first loved us and he first loved others who understand this love. Those are the two sides of the triangle, but it's not completed or perfect until we love one another. Down one side of the triangle is God's love for me. Down the other side of the triangle is God's love for you. And God's love is perfected in our community when we love one another. It's made whole. God's love is completed when we love each other. The vertical dimension of God's love toward me and God's love toward you is beautiful, and we revel in that. But the horizontal perspective of God's love in our community is the evidence that we have been loved. So again, let me try and shift the perspective. The new nature we have in Christ, it displaces the old. That's the first thing we saw. We shift from thinking about ourselves primarily as rotten sinners who sometimes do good to understanding ourselves as saints who still sometimes sin and need to repent. The second thing is we, we see God's fatherly love for us displaces our fear of punishment. So we shift from questions about God punishing us to come to an understanding of our father's loving discipline at work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And third, we know that love displaces hate. So we see ourselves as part of a new community of saints who know that God has already punished our sin and that his love has knit together the oddest collection of people from all over the world who happen to live in this locale and worship together as we do. And that that kind of love, that kind of radical love that is evidenced as we take God's love and love one another with it, it has something to say to the broken world around us about the loving redemption we have already received. The evidence of God's love is made manifest among us when we love one another. This perspective then understands the biblical triangle of love that I'm trying to communicate and how God's love is perfected or completed in our church, again, when we love one another. But you've got to see that this is an image for the world to comprehend God's love for them as well. Jesus said in John 13, that the world will know who I am by the way you love one another need to shift our perspective. Because thus far, it's been largely about us. God's love for his people is not largely about us, but the way we then communicate that and radiate that love to the world around us. We're going to celebrate communion together. So those of you gathering with your house church, either now or later in the week, you can prepare the elements of the wine and the bread. The wine points us to the blood of Christ that was shed when he died on the cross. The bread points us to the reality that his body was broken when he endured our punishment in our place. And so you can move through the liturgy that we've provided, pray through that together as a community, celebrate communion together, and all of the beauty that is evidenced there as we take the bread and the wine. you're not a follower of Jesus, my gosh, do you know God's love? Like it's that aching kind of love that wants to just bring you into relationship. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just compel you to reach out to someone you know who follows Jesus or email me brett at christcitychurch.ca and let me connect you with other people who have already received his love and who want to welcome you into community. Okay, let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your love. I'm so grateful for the people who I know have deeply, deeply been transformed by it. We are not, we're not loved by you because we're so lovely. In fact, we are only lovely because we've been loved by you. And I just pray that you would transform us that you'd shift our perspective, that we would walk with you, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you would empower us as we serve one another in the world around us, that we would live to do good in your name and that Vancouver would be better because we're here. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.